If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Continuing, or in a sense starting in some ways, our, our series on body life. That is, how do, how do we live in the body together? What, is it, what does it look like? What do we prioritize? How do, how do we know when it's going well or when it's not? And 1 Corinthians in particular is good for that because the Corinthian church ran into some issues along the way, and Paul had to help them think it through. And, and one of the things that he is helping them think through is like, what's, what's the, what are we unified around? Because they were getting into divisions. They were running into kind of personality cults, if you will. They were running into questions of, okay, how, how are we supposed to, to, to do this together? Um, and it's not too much too different from the things we struggle with ourselves sometimes. Uh, I, I'm a fan of uh, Chelsea Football Club. It's a soccer club in London, right? And they just spent over $300 million buying new players in January. It's like un- unbelievable amounts of money. You know, it's like, uh, this is crazy. But that's, that's what sometimes people do to, right, to get success is they, they throw a lot of money at the problem or they throw, throw a lot of like just big things. Like uh, th- this is so huge that it can't fail, so to speak, right? As opposed to Iowa State, right? Like, they don't have $300 million to throw around <laughs> buying new players. You know, that's just not going to happen. Uh, and, so, and so oftentimes, as, as Iowa State fans, we, uh, we're more about uh, the, the slow, wise approach to winning, right? Like, if we could just, you know, tweak a few things here, tweak a few things there, and slowly improve over time, hopefully we'll get there. And then we're often disappointed, unfortunately. But we did beat Kansas, right? So, hey, there's something to be said for that. Uh, and, uh, and so, so, so there's these different approaches to success. There's these different approaches to, 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 to feeling like, okay, my life is flourishing. Life is good. And, and I, I know it's good because of this, even in the church, we find that happening. And Paul is, is dealing with that in this passage in 1 Corinthians 1. He's, he's challenging them to consider together, like, what's the purpose here? How do you know what success is all about? And, and he gets into the idea of signs. The Jews seek for a sign, and the Greeks seek for wisdom. There are two different approaches, in a sense, to religion. The Jews sought for signs, like God's going to show us a, a miracle, he's going to do something amazing, and then we know we're on the right path, we know we're on the right side. The Jews were, the Greeks were all about wisdom, like, hey, if, can we argue well, can we, can we show the logic of something, can we develop this to, to be fully uh, logical and rational, and, and, it, and, it, and it's effective because it's logical, because it's, it, we can explain things to everybody, we figure things out. And the Jews and the Greeks had brought both of those paths, if you will, into the church. Saying, in a sense, we need the next big thing in church. We need, we need the next big preacher. You know, I'm of a Paul or I'm of a Paulus or, or these ideas that we, get, we have the next big thing to happen. And sometimes the Greeks were more like, no, let's just get the new, next new technique in or the next new thing in to help the church be successful. 
Because it's not easy, right? When, whenever you go down a path, it's partially you're committing to that path. You're, you're saying, hey, I, I think this is going to work, or I'm putting my trust in, in some kind of process or some kind of idea. And it's, it's natural to, to want to have some assurances, to have some, uh, to have some things that back up this faith that we're talking about or that we're going to put ourselves in and the energy we're going to put into it, the money, the time, in a sense, our lives. And the big idea that I want to get across this morning as we think about this from 1 Corinthians 1 is that cultivating a unity around the cross helps our community flourish. Cultivating a unity of life around the cross helps our community flourish. That is, the, the unity that we're supposed to have, this thing that we're supposed to be together in is also the thing that gives us the power, the, the thing that helps us flourish. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and notice what it says here, starting in verse 10. Or, I'm sorry, verse, yes, verse 10 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not, not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers." Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, that is God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let, not, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the, the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, but I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This is what he is, Paul here is dealing with the, the church, and he's saying we need to build our unity not around seeking signs, or human wisdom, but on Christ and him crucified and what it means for that to be true. So the first part of creating unity and, and living in that unity in order to flourish is that we need to prioritize preaching Christ crucified. 
Now, this is not to say that signs aren't there sometimes. The Jews did receive some signs. If you remember, the, the Jews went to, to Jesus saying, show us a sign. And he said, the only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. You know? yeah, he was in the, the belly of the whale three days and then came out. And, and of course, uh, it wasn't quite the sign they were looking for, right? Because it was about him resurrecting from the dead. But, but, he's, he, but they did receive signs from time to time, and the Greeks did have some wisdom. The, the point that Paul is making is that that wisdom and those signs didn't ultimately show the power of God. Religion can sometimes be not about knowing God, but really about seeking status with one another. Like, I'm part of this movement, or I'm part of this church, or I have uh, this, this, this doctrinal pedigree, so to speak. Like, I, I, I know these things about God. And it, it's not so much that we want to know God better. It's we, we, we want to show off our statuses or to be seen as having status with other people. And we can fall into the same traps that the Jews and the Greeks were falling into, we can fall into the trap of signs. It's kind of, you remember the, like Gideon in the Old Testament. He was, he was trying to make a decision. Like God had said, go do this. And he's like, ah, I'm not sure that God is really behind this. And he's like, can you show me a sign? And he, and he, he puts out a fleece, right? And he, and he wants that sign, in a sense, to be a, a, a confirmation of the path that he's already been told to go on. And God graciously gave him a sign and at the same time, it's like, if you need signs, then you're missing the point. But we, we fall into the same trap, right? We're, we're looking for something amazing, or, or we feel like God wants us to go a direction, but we, we feel like we need some, uh, something other than what God says in his word or what we know from the Spirit that, to, to, to confirm it to us in some way. We need God to do some amazing things before we commit and we forget sometimes that the blessing comes after the obedience rather than the other way around. But we do this, right? We're, we're, we, we sometimes throw in language like God told me to do this. Or, you know, it's like some, something other than just I'm trusting God and I think he wants me to go this direction. I'm seeking to be obedient to him and I'm hoping that he'll guide me because I don't have all the answers. But we're looking for a sign, we're looking for something to, to hang our hat on, so to speak. We also, I think, more often in our society, we, we, we fall into the trap of wisdom. That we, we can figure things out. In, in this church here, they were, they were liking their preachers, right? I am of Paul. I'm of Apollos. Like, look, look at the wisdom and influence, the, the power that Paul has when he preaches, or look at, Apollos, especially Apollos in, in the First Corinthians church, he came in and he had been taught the gospel and he, and he had eloquence, he had power. And the Corinthians in particular, that, that, the city overall valued that kind of um, oratory, that, that, that sense of, okay, I, I can explain this really well and you're going to be wowed at how well I can explain it and how well I'm going to move you to get involved in it. And, and they were looking for that wisdom, like that, that power, that influence, we can get 
That's a trap on so many areas. We can think about, okay, well, we're going to do this in order to have so much more power and influence in, in our society. Or we're going we're gonna to accomplish this because we've figured everything out. And it's almost like <laughs> clickbait. You know, have you ever, I have to admit in shame that I have sometimes clicked on clickbait, you know. You know, the, the 10 amazing things that will happen this year, you know, or um, you, the secret that no one else knows about how to lose weight, you know what I mean? Like, oh, well, I, mean, I should figure that one out, you know? It, and you, you get involved in these secrets or these amazing things, and you, you get, you just kind of like, oh, there's something I, I, I want over here, and maybe they have the answer, like 10 amazing things that God will do for you in 2023 or something like that, right? Like, oh, we just need to be amazed or we're looking for wisdom and we think we need to find it. And it's not that there's not wisdom to be found. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that in the church, there is a wisdom that comes from the cross. And that's what Paul is saying here in this first paragraph. He's saying, look, they seek for wisdom in their own way. But Christ is the wisdom of God that is foolishness to men. And he's the power of God to those who look at that and say that's weakness. Because what he's saying here is the cross and preaching the cross is a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are, being, who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ crucified you know, the, the cross was not something you talked about. Crucifixions were not something you talked about in polite society, in Roman society. You didn't, you didn't talk about it, right? Because it was, it was too shameful. It was too ugly. It was too beneath most people. But here Paul is saying, we proclaim this, this crucifixion of this individual in Jerusalem a few years ago, that he's God in the flesh. Like he came... And he died on that cross for you and for me because we were headed for death and he took our death upon himself. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. This, this is the power of God. When you're saying, oh, I want power in my life. I want to be effective. I want to have joy and peace and, 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 and stability in my life. I want to have those things. It doesn't, it's not going to come from some amazing thing that... God does over here, over there. It's, it's the cross. This thing that everyone else looked down on is the thing that brings power. If you're looking and say, well, I need wisdom in my life. I need, I've got so many key decisions and I need, I need to think it through and I need to plan it all out and know how everything's going to fit together. If you kick the cross out of the picture, Paul's saying, you're actually going to have everything fall apart. And he's calling us as believers to make the cross central. To say, to say, okay, we need to understand that the power and the wisdom of God is not in human thinking nor in amazing activity, but in what God has already done for us in Jesus Christ. It's a power that's not about impressing us. It's a power about delivering us, 
changing us, providing for us. It's, in a sense, also just about God revealing himself to us. Like, do you want to get to know God? If you, if you really want to be, get to know God and be connected to him, you, you can't take the cross out of the picture. The cross is the supreme example of who God is. He's a God who's willing to condescend to us. Yes, he's infinitely powerful and infinitely capable, but he became like one of us in order to rescue us. He's willing to do that, to step into our lives, to not chastise us for our weakness and our indecision and our incapability, but simply to enter into it with us and deliver us from ourselves. It's, it's different also in the sense of it, it provides so, so, so much wisdom and power in the sense of God is willing to say to us, you know what, I'm willing to love you enough to take your death as mine. That's power, right? Because most of us would say, I'm not willing to love people that much. You know what I mean? Uh, I think if people treat me poorly or people treat me badly, then I'm just going to put up this wall here. I'm going to do something to keep them away. And God says, no, I'm willing to reach across that wall and bring you to myself. So how do we, how do we, how do we make that cross then central? And he, he goes into that in the next point here, which is we must boast in God's grace to experience that unity. Notice what he says. He says, For consider your calling, brothers, that not many were wise, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. What's he saying here? He's saying partially that there are some. He's not saying there are none in the church. He's saying there are some. And that... Part of the challenge is, is that when you bring people with different backgrounds and different expectations of life and different, different situations of life in, into one body together, that there are different, different adjustments that have to be made. But at the same time, he's, he's, what he's also saying is that the wise can't be like, well, we've got it all figured out because look at all the wise people that got saved. Or the noble people can't say, well, if you were just of noble birth, you'd be so much better off. Because God obviously chooses mostly noble people to get saved, you know, because they're so much better than everyone else. He's he's knocking off all the human ways we go about saying, I'm okay, I'm good enough, I I have what I need. Because the, wiz, the wise in the world would say, well, if I'm wise, I'm pretty good, right? I mean, Ames, in a sense, is all about that. We're about accumulating knowledge and passing it on and helping people be successful in life. Why? Because they've become more wise, or at least more knowledgeable. <laughs> you could argue about whether they're wise or not. And other places are more, maybe, you know, obviously we don't live in England, but they have a king and a queen. They have nobilities, you know, right? And they, they sometimes argue about who should be noble and who's not, and who therefore is more in a sense, accepted by God or capable or therefore should be more happy because they are what they are. 
And obviously, in, in kind of the sports world, it's about who's more powerful, who can run the fastest, who can make the best shots, who can make the most shots. And if you're that kind of person, then you should be happy. You should be, you should, you should be great. Everyone should look up to you because you're powerful. And Paul here is saying that the human categories that we boast in to say, I'm good, I'm great, I'm successful, you should listen to me and follow me and commit to me, are not the categories that God uses. It says here, God shows what is foolish in the world to shame what is wise. God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God shows what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are. You, you realize in some ways God's kingdom is this eruption of another kingdom in the midst of all the human kingdoms that we make in our, in our world today. The sports kingdom of, look how if you're athletic, you should be powerful and rich. The business kingdom of, of if you can make money, you should be powerful and rich and everybody should bow down to you. Even in our homes, when we say, well, I have this place and this position, and we say, I, I, I'm in charge, God's like, but what does being in charge mean? <laughs> he, he blows up our human categories and instead calls us to do something else. Notice what he says so that no human being, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Notice what he's doing there. He's still locating it. He's not locating righteousness and wisdom outside of the cross, outside of Christ. He's putting all of that in Christ and what Christ has done for us. But then he says, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. He's saying we should boast in God's grace. We should look at the cross and not think, I've got to be the one to be most sacrificial. I've got to be the one who, to be the most spiritually powerful with God. We have to think, look at Christ. Look what he's done for us. Look at the grace that we've received. How do I know that? Well, it's the example he gives. Because he goes into his own example. He says, verse chapter 2, And I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty wisdom or lofty speech, but I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. But my, in my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Now, the, the demonstration of the Spirit and the power is connected to preaching Christ crucified. He's saying the words that I talk connected how the Spirit and power came through the, the crucifixion. He's not saying I'm adding miracles onto, or I'm adding these miraculous things onto the, the crucifixion. He's saying I'm demonstrating how the Spirit was with Christ at the cross, being powerful for us. You see, the world wants to say, be a victor, then boast. The cross is saying, boast in what God has done for you, even when you're weak. And Tony Evans puts it this way, I ran across this quote in his 
his book, Activating the Power of the Cross, he says, but I want, what I want you to know is what Paul wants you to know. That is the surpassing greatness of God's power that worked to raise Christ from the dead, turning death into life, is the same exact surpassing greatness of power available to you today. God flipped the script with Jesus and he can do the same with you. Are you experiencing a deathly situation in your life or what feels like a crucifixion? Have you had a death in your dreams, relationships, home, career, finances, health? The message of the cross is that God has enough power to turn even the seemingly worst scenario into a victory if you will trust in him. And this is what Paul is saying in what Scripture says as well. Notice Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14 says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? He's saying Christ gave himself through the Spirit. The Spirit was at work. How was the Spirit at work? Well, I would go back to Isaiah 42. Verse 1 says, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the close lands wait for his law. Notice there what he's saying is the spirit comes upon him. And he's not, what he's, he's saying there is he's not like making much of himself. He's not, he's not broadcasting everything about him out there. Although many people came to listen to him. He, but he says a bruised reed he will not break. He's not, like, he's not like, oh, well, these people aren't worth talking to. He goes to the people that nobody would talk to. It says, he will not grow faint or be discouraged. Even in the face of death, Jesus was not discouraged. Can, can you grasp that for just a second? Because if you're like me, you get discouraged often, right? Like, I was trying to do good here, and it seems like, you know, this person's not accepting my good. Or I was trying to, to be to be helpful here and it's all falling apart or I was trying to 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 be friendly here and and there seems to be no connection and and we get discouraged and we get we get defeated and we feel like how what how is this supposed to work and Jesus is just depending on the spirit doing what the spirit wants him to do moment by moment day by day and Paul had to learn this. Paul gives us a hint here in 1 Corinthians 2, but the, the Corinthians didn't get the hint. Sometimes we don't as well. So he explains it more in 2 Corinthians, right? In 2 Corinthians, Paul, God gets Paul's attention and he shares that, that with, with the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 12 where he says, But God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses and insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He's saying God's grace comes in. And in our weakness, because of the cross, because of what Christ has done for us, and because we have this hope that is beyond death, 
Even in our weaknesses, we can boast in grace. And oh, the Corinthians didn't get it at first, and I'm sure I, didn't, I don't get it either, right? I tend to want to boast in my success. I want to be like, I did this, and look what happened. I accomplished this, and, and, and it was great. <laughs> look at it. I created this beautiful thing in the world. Isn't it awesome? And Paul here is saying, hey, when, when we do that and we go that route in the body of Christ, what happens is that it all becomes about our little kingdoms. And we don't have true unity in the body of Christ and we're not rejoicing together in the body of Christ. We're all competing with one another in the body of Christ. And Paul's saying, Go back to the cross. See the beauty of Christ dying for you. See the wonder of, of the love of God that he would send his son, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is what God does for us. And so we get the chance, to, in a sense, to boast in our weaknesses and be like, you know what, I'm confused here. I don't know what the answer is, but I do know that God is for me. I do know that God's at work here. I do know that God is going to work and provide and direct, and I'm going to boast in that. Right, because it's not in human wisdom, and it's not in human ability. It's not about me. It's about him. We must learn to love the grace of the cross. We must learn to love it. That a power is not in our wisdom or in amazing things of signs and wonders, but in our weakness, his strength is made perfect. What does that, what does that look like? I'm not saying that you go around and just like spew your weaknesses out there for everybody. Okay, like, look how I'm weak over here and I'm weak over there. That's not what I'm saying, okay? Not everybody wants to hear all of your weaknesses. They don't want to hear all of mine, okay? <laughs> what he is saying, though, is that we boast in God's grace in, in a sense, in specific ways, in specific circumstances. That, that we, maybe you've got a situation at work and, you're, and you're, you're hoping your boss does makes a decision. What are you going to boast in? Not in your power to convince your boss to do what you think is the right decision. What are you going to boast in? That, that God's grace is with you in the midst of, of your boss deciding what to do. That God has that perfectly under control and can, and can do what's best even when you can't figure it out. And you can't manipulate the situation into what you think is best. Maybe it's a situation in the home and, and, and you're saying, well, I wish my parent, you know, I wish my parent would make different rules. And you're, yeah, so... We've got two cats and a dog. And uh, my two youngest daughters 
have had those, especially Annalisa has had those most of their lives. So now, you know how kids are. They get bored, in a sense. They're like, we want another animal. And, uh, you know, I think Annalisa started with, ah, man, what was it? Oh, I know what it was. (laughs) She wanted a penguin. That's bold. Always go for the bold choice, you know. It's always a good thing. Uh, she, she wanted a penguin, and, and uh, Amy had to kindly explain to her that uh, owning a penguin uh, as, a, as a private individual is probably illegal. You know what I mean? Like, it's, you're just not going to be able to own a penguin on your own. Um, so then uh, she went for a bunny, and uh, we, we, we've done bunnies, and... Uh, as parents, we're done doing bunnies, okay? <laughs> so we come up with some excuse for why that was not a good idea. And uh, so she eventually settled on a rat. Uh, we have two cats. If you can. <laughs> but but they're, they're making PowerPoints of why a rat is good in the house and how you would take care of a rat. And they're going to present this presentation to us of why we should buy a rat and add it to our collection of our menagerie, right? And uh, uh, we're not buying a rat either. <laughs> but she's, she's weak. She, she's weak. She wants something. We're, we're, not, we're not trying to crush her. You get what I'm saying? We're not trying to crush her, but we are trying to provide what is best for her. And, and the, the key here is that when we go to God, sometimes that's what we do with God. We're like, God, you know, I, I think this would be best for me. And here's my grand presentation of why this would be good for my life. You know, I need this raise or this, this move or this situation to change. Just, just here's my presentation, God. <laughs> we just listen to my presentation. And what we forget is that God loves us enough that he sent his son to die for us. And if he loves us like that, then if he says no, he knows what's best for us. He does. And he, he's providing for us and helping us. And so our boast is not in our ability to be like, hey, I know what the best answer is, a rat. We boast in God's grace that he loves us, that he sent his son to die for us. This is the power of the cross, to realize that Christ became sin for us, so that we could be made into the righteousness of God, that he, we could know his love, regardless of our ability to figure everything out. And so we must boast in God's grace. We must. If we're going to have a community centered around the cross, then we must boast in God's grace. We must boast in his love for us, in the midst of our Weakness in the midst of our challenges, in of as Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 12, insults and hardships and calamities. And it's not to say that those aren't hardships and calamities and insults. It's not to, to write them away and say, oh, they're, they're nothing. It's not to say that. It's to say, in the midst of those things, I know God loves me. <laughs> you see the difference? The, the last part that I can't get into too much is just that we must depend on the Spirit's work of revelation to sustain unity. And, and what he's saying is that the Spirit works to, to reveal these things to us. And primarily it's through the Word of God. 
That, that the word, as we go to the word, as we're in the word, the Holy Spirit helps us to see how the gospel is, is powerful in our lives. And if we go other places, if we go other places, like, oh, we think, oh, we're going for science, you know, or go, going for human wisdom, we're, we're missing out on what we can, the, the Spirit's wisdom that he wants to impart to us. As he says at the end of chapter 2, the Spirit interprets spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. He, he brings that in, and, and this is the primary way that he does that. We might be tempted to say, well, I, I have this dream, or I have this, this experience, or whatever. No, no. The, the Spirit uses the Word to reveal to us spiritual things. So, just in conclusion, where's your focus? What are you boasting in? You might think, well, I've got boasting in my effort, how hard I'm working to raise my kids, or how, how much I'm doing to, to increase my wealth, or how much, uh, how much wisdom I have in my 401k and my allocations for the future. That spills over in our community sometimes into, well, I've got enough money, I don't I'm just going to pick and choose who my friends are going to be. Or I've got enough, I've got enough uh, of, of what I want, and so I'm not going to worry about the needs of others and give and share. We, we sometimes just think in the, in the church community, we think, well, if I've got enough converts, then I know God is on my side, right? Or if I can, we can figure out the way to be successful at church and then boast about it and rally people around it, then we figured it all out. But we preach Christ, Christ crucified. We focus on the gospel. It's an inside-out kind of power. We, in a sense, we, bef we be before we do. He, he's the one who changes us because we see the lo love of God poured into our lives. I've, I've used this phrase in the past. It's called, uh, in, in uh, Scandinavia, they, they don't use the term overflow they use the term overfluting. Doesn't it, it sounds so much more amazing to say. Just rather than saying the toilet is overflowing, you can say the, the toilet is overfluting, you know? And it sounds so much better, potentially, or more dangerous. You know, it's just kind of this dangerous word. But the point is, is that the Spirit pours the truth of Christ in, in His love for us through the cross into our lives, and then we overflow, we overflowed with grace. We, we overflowed it. It, it. it just comes out of us. Why are we generous? Because we see the generosity of God to us. Why are we kind? Because we see the kindness of God to us. Why are we helpful? Because we see the helpfulness of God to us. We, we overflowed with it. It becomes just a part of, of how we live. And what Paul is saying here is that the unity of life around the cross is when we overflowed about the cross, when we overflowed about our weakness and God's grace. We say, this is what it's about. It's amazing. It's amazing to say. The God of the universe loves me enough to send his son to die for me. 
That's an incredibly bold statement to make. But he did, because he said he did. And it happened in history 2,000 years ago. So, will you overflowed <laughs> this week? Maybe at work you can just show kindness because God has showed kindness to you. Maybe, maybe you can show forgiveness in the home because, again, God has shown forgiveness to you. Because as we just overflowed with grace, we make it not about us, but about him. We make it about his power and not ours. We make it about his grace and mercy and not our wisdom and generosity. Will will you focus on the cross? Will you make it about that and not about wisdom or signs or power, but the power of the cross? He loved you. He is with you. His spirit is with you. He is working in you. And that will not go away because Christ died for you and rose again if you've trusted in him. And if you haven't, then it's as simple. If you want that power and that love and that mercy flowing into your life and knowing that it's there, all you have to do, Romans 10, 13 says, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not, Christianity is not a religion of, hey, you better show up to a certain church, you better pay a certain amount of money, you better live a certain kind of lifestyle. All all of those can be a part of Christianity, but the essence of Christianity is God's grace shown to us at the cross and us trusting in it. That's it. Will you live in his grace? Will you walk in his grace? And will you see his grace, especially in the cross. Heavenly Father, Lord, I confess that I often don't overflude. I, I'm more about defending myself or proving myself than I am about overflowing and boasting in your grace. Lord, I am weak and you are strong. Lord, I am poor and you are rich. Lord, I, I do not have wisdom. I am often foolish, but you are wise. And you show your wisdom by being wiser than any human being and making unity and, and faith about what you have done and not about what we do. We thank you for the cross. We thank you that Christ rose again from the grave. We thank you that we can walk in your presence and boast in your grace. Help us to overflood with that today, this week, this year, as part of your body to this dying world. In your son's name, amen.